Welcome to this week's edition of a Cowboy Life, the storytelling podcast presented by Smoothie King, blending goodness to fuel your greatness. I'm Brady Tinker. This week, we tell you the story of one of the all-time winningest players in NFL history, defensive end Charles Haley. Charles won five Super Bowls in his career, three with the Dallas Cowboys, and two with the team that drafted him, the San Francisco 49ers, and here we go. A prologue to today's story, the Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson era came in with a whimper as the 1989 Dallas Cowboys went 1-15. and 15. Troy Aikman barely survived. But two years after Jimmy had completely remade the Cowboys roster, the team was now fast and athletic on defense and powerful and exact on offense. This new breed of Dallas Cowboys were being noticed. Aikman, Irvin, Emmett, the offense was set with pillars of strength and talent. The defense already had Tony Tolbert, Jim Jeffcoat, Russell Maryland, and Tony Casillas to rush the passer, but they were missing that one piece, a true disruptor, with a nasty side maybe. Enter Charles Haley. But let's back up a bit, because you may remember, almost inexplicably, the Cowboys got Hall of Famer Charles Haley from their bitter rival, the San Francisco 49ers, in a trade. Here's Charles. Well, first, we got we to go back to the draft. Okay. See, the 49ers moved up to get me. I should have been really a blue chip. Talent-wise, Charles Haley from James Madison University was astounding to watch. Long and fast with a relentless motor. But virtually nobody was watching. One AA's James Madison was seen as competing against inferior talent. Add to that that they had never had a player drafted into the NFL. So blue chip talent, yes. Blue chip on NFL draft boards, no. He almost didn't get drafted. The Redskins timed him, and they timed him right when he got back from Christmas. And he ran a 4.75. It was too slow for them. They just, they, they didn't like him, so they went away. Then the 49ers came in, and they clocked him, and he ran a 4.5. So they drafted him. That new voice is Charles' defensive coordinator at James Madison University, defensive coordinator Danny Wilmer. Danny had coached and handled Charles, if you will, for four years in college, and he was a big fan. In 1986, the 49ers were in the middle of a dominant run of football with Joe Montana and their head coach Bill Walsh, both in their primes. Walsh was already known around the league as the genius, so in June of 1986, Charles boards an airplane after being drafted by the 49ers and heads to his new home in San Francisco. Easy, right? In Virginia, where I grew up, it's white and black, that's it. I didn't know any other race, I'd never seen it before. I get off the plane, I go to a black guy and I go like, where's the baggage claim? He spoke a different language. I went to a white guy, he spoke a different language. I said, holy shit, I went back to the gate. Then I kept hearing my damn name, John Gruden. He kept calling that Charles Haley come to baggage claim. I'm going, like, what the hell is going on, man? Charles Haley, would you please come to baggage claim? This is John Gruden, and someday I'm going to be a really big deal. So I need you to come to baggage claim today. I got a reputation. Would you please come to baggage claim, Charles, today? So he had to come back to the gate to get me. It was terrifying, man. Charles Haley grew up on a farm in Gladys, Virginia, with older brothers who constantly worked him over. They, they picked on him. 
But his mother, Virginia, was always there with just the right kind of love for her youngest. She lifted him up, he would say. But Charles was clearly a different kid who, by the way, jumped off the screen when you watched film of him playing football. Long and fast with a relentless motor and a visible mean streak, and now he's in the big city in San Francisco and in the league, the NFL. The best news for Charles was he was reporting to head coach Bill Walsh, who couldn't wait to get him to San Francisco. The late, great Bill Walsh was your head coach when you got there. How did you find him, and did you guys get along immediately? Oh, God, man. Coach Walsh, man, was, he was a dream, man. First preseason game, I um, went down and uh, kick off, then they crossed. That, when they crossed, that means this guy over here going to get you, right? And so when they crossed in front of me, I thought, oh, God, I ran that guy, and I got hit. And somehow I fell to, forward and made the tackle right, but I don't remember where I was. And uh, all I remember when I woke up was Bill had a special team coach by the shirt and said he'll never play another down special team as long as I'm the head coach. And here we go. 49ers special teams coach Fred Von Oppen played college football. He also owned two master's degrees, and he'd served in the U.S. Army, and he's certainly ready for almost anything, except maybe coaching Charles Haley. Charles, I bet he was pissed at you. What'd he do next? He put me on all the scout teams. So off of special teams, which were an injury waiting to happen, to scout teams. Now, scout teams are where the backup players on a team work in practice mimicking the other team's players. For example, if the Giants are the next opponents of the 49ers, then Charles is now practicing as if he plays for the Giants. He's doing the same thing the Giants might do in the upcoming game, so his teammates can then prepare for it. Certainly less dangerous than special teams, but certainly not a role that Charles Haley would ever think he should be playing. So he made another unfriendly visit to Coach Von Oppen. And I went out there while he was doing practice, because you know, I went out there in my shoes and, you know, no shirt, and I threw it in his face. The Bill said, I ain't playing no special. That's scout, too. He got mad and ran in the Bill. I said, what the hell? You think he'll put me in timeout? They probably never been around somebody like me. Yeah, not many of us have. And while Charles was consistently a pain in some coaches' butts, he was also quickly becoming a game-changing player with a very special mind for the game of football. I got the playbook. During the preseason, I learned every bit of it. I'm anal. I, I need to know every detail. So I knew everybody's position on every coverage. Depending on how much you know about football, you may or may not know how unusual it is for a defensive end to know what the other 10 men with him on defense were supposed to be doing at all times. He also learned the offense, and he knew what all of those men were assigned to do, too, because oftentimes his defensive meetings, well, they bored him. So he would get up and walk out, and he would walk down the hall and sit in with the offense, and he learned it all, and he remembered every bit of it. Very weird, very unusual and impressive and intimidating and a little bit strange. You were quickly becoming a stud in the NFL, Charles, but I do remember a story about you being hazed in San Francisco your rookie year. It was about 10 of them off the line. They grabbed me. And the D-line, Michael Carter and them, and they took me there. And they take my feet. They take my feet. They take the top of my head. I'm just, thank God that Bill Walsh walked out on the, on, the, on the patio and saw me out there and said somebody to cut me down. That's when I knew something was wrong with me because I couldn't let it go. You know, I had to get, get them back. And then, you know, the hate just increased, you know. I mentioned earlier that Charles had older brothers growing up that were rough on him. They reveled in beating on him and keeping him down. And to this day, he has problems with how they treated him, period. 
So getting duct taped to a goalpost in the north end zone by a bunch of guys on his own team who were bullying him had terrible childhood memories flooding back into his head just after he arrived in his new home in San Francisco. Because I was having headaches, they put me in this room with a vibrating chair, headphones, and dog glasses. I didn't go to any meeting. It's no way to live having anger and aggression towards those around you that are supposed to be on your side. Charles's brain was working overtime on being angry, and yet you heard him say he missed meetings to be in this dark room that sometimes offered him a little bit of peace. How did he play football at a high level, spending lots of time in that room? Well, you may remember him saying he memorized the entire playbook, and he knew what everyone's job was on every play, and that was no joke. He was very strange, very difficult, but he was also a savant. You know what? You know what made me great? I knew the coverage behind me. I knew what the linebackers were doing. I knew what the guy next to me was doing. So I could take chances. Because if I know this corner's down, that means I got outside, I can, take, I can jump inside. Somebody's out there to take my place. Defensive playmakers are set up to be able to make plays and sometimes take chances by their defensive coordinators and then by their teammates. But in Charles's case, while that was true, Charles was also set up to be able to take chances because, as you remember, he knew everything that was going on around him in every game, and he knew what it meant and how the other team's offense was working. He was becoming a genius on the football field, and head coach Bill Walsh was damn well going to take full advantage of what his best defensive player had to offer, physically and mentally. I ran the elephant position, and uh, pretty much it is, he just lined me up and tell me, figure it out, make it work. At AT&T, everyone, new and existing customers, get our best deals on every smartphone. Why? Because you deserve it. For turning your living room into your office and your gym. For teaching grandma how to video call. And teaching her again. It's the button on your left, Nana. Okay, your other left. It's not complicated. Everyone deserves something new. So AT&T has given everyone, new and existing customers, our best deals with every unlimited plan on every smartphone, even the latest ones. AT&T may temporarily slow data speeds if the network is busy. Restrictions and exceptions may apply. Hi, I'm Clint Tillerson with... And I'm Jay Novacek, and we're both with... United Ag and Turf. Turf. The official tractor provider of the Dallas Cowboys. So, if you need a tractor to bale some hay, a mower to cut some grass, or a gator to get some chores done, get a John Deere at United Ag and Turf. And then, let's get to work. Hey, Jay, that's my line. <laughs> well, not today. Get to work with a John Deere tractor package that's just right for you and your budget. Visit UnitedAgandTurf.com. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbent attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him, it projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys, and Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com cowboys. New Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. You deserve it. I do deserve that. You deserve decadent flavor without sugar and a day at the beach without sand getting everywhere and a relaxing bath that your children don't interrupt. I deserve all that? It's really just a visual metaphor for Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. Everything you want, nothing you don't. A visual metaphor on the radio. I do deserve that. Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. The zero you deserve is finally here. Bill Walsh put a coach nicknamed Pee-wee with our man Charles, and they, along with defensive coordinator George Seifert, created the elephant defense for the 49ers. 
Now, the elephant is built around one player, a man who can line up and rush the passer at defensive end, but who can also drop into a linebacker position and cover tight ends or chase down running backs. As you can imagine, not many of them have come along ever. But Pee-wee, or Dwayne Board as his mother named him, developed a relationship with Charles, and he became the most feared defensive player in the NFC, winning Defensive Player of the Year in 1990. Other good things were happening. There were also two teammates on the 49ers that Charles was particularly fond of. The first one you most certainly know, quarterback Joe Montana. Joe was the best teammate any man could ask for. He was like me, 16-year-old kid, just having fun. You know, we loved the damn game. You know, I, I remember Joe getting hit hard, and he goes, um, did he catch a ball? I'm going like, wow, wow, you know, um, he, he meant a lot to me. Charles had just a few people in his life that he looked up to and appreciated and maybe even at times revered. Quarterback Joe Montana was right at the top of that list. He would have fun with Charles and he would tease him and he loved on him and he was always there for him. For Charles, Joe was the perfect teammate and friend. We call Joe Montana Pinocchio. Joe is the greatest human being, guys. He'll walk in this room and you'll think he's your brother. Man, he's phenomenal. So one practice, I just kept jumping off sides, right? Damn, Bill get mad. He go, what the hell is your problem, Haley? I said, well, Joe's nose is off sides, so I just keep jumping. Hey, and so, hey, he bust out laughing and threw it, it made us go in. Two days later, we was out there and he goes, he blew the whistle. He said, I wish I had a whole damn team of number 94. And then, you know what? We win the Super Bowl and he quit. And then I'm stuck with George ass, you know? Bill Walsh loved Charles Haley, the football player, from the minute he saw him on tape. He drafted him and taught him and he befriended him. Joe Montana played and lived like Charles thought everyone should. These men were his anchors. They kept him from drifting away. Safety Ronnie Lott was the other 49er that Charles responded to. Ryan was my mentor, and uh, you know I, I used to stay on his wings until he made me go to this um, charity thing with him, and he gave shoes out at a, at a barber shop. This ten-year-old kid walked up to him, man. This kid gave him the best question in the world. It made me, it made me a man. Kid said, "What makes you a great player?" And he said, "I play without fear." That was the last day I was under his wings. Hey, I found my own way after that point, but I, I didn't realize. That was the biggest key to being a great football player is to not allow fear to creep in into your psyche. You know, and, and, and as I tell my kids, that's in everything in life. No matter what you do, the moment you let doubt, doubt is fear, and it, it, it'll cripple you. Ronnie Lott was a free safety that had been drafted by Bill Walsh and the 49ers five years before Charles came to San Francisco. Lott had been first-team All-Pro twice already, and he'd won two Super Bowls. But the story that tells you about Ronnie Lott, the man and the player, happened the year before Charles arrived. It was 1985, and he had snapped the end of his pinky finger in a playoff game. When the season was over, he opted not to have surgery because that would have caused him to miss several games in the upcoming 1986 season. So he asked the doctors to just cut the end of his finger off. After some teeth gnashing, doctors don't want to cut your fingers off if they don't have to, they did it. And a few months later, Charles arrived, and Ronnie, to nobody's surprise, was someone Charles immediately looked up to, and even took harsh criticism from, if you can imagine that. A mentor for Charles. They won two Super Bowls together, along with Joe Montana, but things for Charles in the Bay Area would not stay smooth for long. 
I think I probably had a nervous breakdown or something. I, I couldn't control my emotions and the anger and the hate came out. You know, first of all, you have to remember, they cut Ronnie at the at the Pro Bowl. I was right there with Ronnie when he got cut. They they humiliated him. And I couldn't forgive him for that. Because, you know, that shit, that's not right. So whatever I had to do to get out, I did. Well, by this time, you know that Charles is great at football and as tough an SOB as you would ever want to meet. But he was also fragile. And when one of the few people that he loved and trusted in the game was not only released, but humiliated in the process, well, that just wasn't going to stand with Charles. He held me accountable. Rest of them were scared to hold me accountable. Can you give an example? Uh, well, it's everything. Hey, it, you know, being on time. You know, you're on time, you're late. Somebody setting your goals and your standards? Boy, who's setting your goals and standards? You're going to, hey, somebody set them, they limiting you, boy. He gave me tough love. I, and um, I mean, I, I just, you call it tough love, I call it the truth. And I needed that nourishment. Ronnie Lott was a mentor and a friend and a great player, but the 49ers decided he was getting older and that they could do with someone younger and cheaper at the safety position, and that sent Charles spinning, and it all came out after a game against the Raiders the following year. You see, Ronnie Lott was now a Raider, and the 49ers lost in a game that in Charles's mind pitted him against his big brother Ronnie, and all hell broke loose after the game. I um, was yelling and screaming at the team and stuff, and. All of a sudden, you know, um, George um, wanted me to sit down, and I turned and um, I swung and I hit hit the um, wall, hit the brick wall, and then um, guys guys grabbed me and I was swinging, and my and I almost put my hand through that glass door where that wire is. So mm-hmm. I cut my wrist and everything up. So I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding like crap. And doctors and them, they stand at the door going like, I ain't going over there. And so they go get Ronnie, and uh, Ronnie comes in, man, and gives me a hug and. I'm in the locker room, I'm dressing. Next thing I know, I say, hey, come, you gotta come over. It's our run over. Charles has hit the glass. And the glass, the glass had wires in it. Like in the hospital, you know, they had wires in it. So I, I, I come in and I look and I'm going, and I, and I look at his hand and, and I know what's going on in his head. I love him like a brother. And I don't think he wanted to lose to his big brother. The doctor was able to um, look at me and stuff, but from then on for about three or four games, it was just really, really emotional for me and I couldn't, couldn't control it. Then I went into isolation after that. That new voice is the Hall of Fame safety Ronnie Lott, who was a mentor and brother to Charles, as you've heard, and we appreciate him chiming in on his friend. But truth be told, it wasn't just head coach George Seifert and the front office cutting Ronnie Lott that messed with Charles. The 49ers were also a year into a plan to replace the greatest QB ever, Joe Montana, the other teammate near and dear to Charles. I love Joe Montana. Steve and Joe are totally opposite. Steve, he never talked. He was a loner. Joe was always exciting. Joe was there from the beginning for me. And I loved Joe. And, and then when Steve came, I felt like 
Steve was trying to take his job, push him out. And I couldn't forgive him for that, man. It was, it was a lot of things. Ronnie got cut. Everybody that I loved got cut that year. So it just took, it took a toll on me. And uh, I took it out on Steve when I shouldn't have. Steve Young was an on-the-rise left-handed hotshot quarterback who could run and throw, and he had this air of confidence about him. Not like Montana, who certainly was confident, but he was always positive and fun to be around. Steve Young was right next to arrogant almost all the time, especially for a guy who went 3-16 and 16 as a starter in Tampa before being traded to San Francisco. But honestly, though, anybody could see that Steve Young could really play. And Joe Montana had been pronounced nearly physically dead about three times in his last two years in his mid-30s with back issues. So the 49ers traded for Steve Young and began to ready him to take the reins at quarterback. Only they couldn't really talk about it because he was replacing Joe Montana, winner of four Super Bowls, and as Charles told you, one of the greatest guys and teammates ever. The guy who was taking the brunt of Charles' frustration was his head coach, George Seifert, who had replaced Bill Walsh when he suddenly retired. Seifert, you may remember, was the defensive coordinator under Walsh, and he had a lot to do with Charles being the star of the elephant defense. But truth be told, Charles never really took to George Seifert because, well, mostly because he wasn't Bill Walsh. Want to use what the pros use? How about the official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys, Jack Black? Right now, you can get the Jack Black Starter, a curated collection of Cowboys locker room favorites for just 10 bucks with free shipping. The starter includes four Jack Black skincare favorites plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm. Go to getjackblack.com cowboys and use the code word TEAMJB. That's getjackblack.com cowboys. The Jack Black Starter, 10 bucks, free shipping. At AT&T, everyone, new and existing customers, get our best deals on every smartphone. Why? Because you deserve it for turning your living room into your office and your gym. For teaching grandma how to video call and teaching her again. It's the button on your left, Nana. Okay, your other left. It's not complicated. Everyone deserves something new. So AT&T has given everyone new and existing customers our best deals with every unlimited plan on every smartphone, even the latest ones. AT&T may temporarily slow data speeds if the network's busy. Restrictions and exceptions may apply. Hi, I'm Clint Tillerson with... And I'm Jay Novacek. And we're both with... United United Ag and Turf. Turf. The official tractor provider of the Dallas Cowboys. So, if you need a tractor to bale some hay, a mower to cut some grass, or a gator to get some chores done... Get a John Deere at United Ag and Turf. And then, let's get to work. Hey, Jay, that's my line. (laughs) Well, not today. Get to work with a John Deere tractor package that's just right for you and your budget. Visit UnitedAgandTurf.com. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbending attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him. It projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com cowboys. He was a micromanager, man, and, and um, he was stickling on detail. And I loved that part. I, I loved that. He, you know, and, and the funny thing about it is he would tell his wife he never makes a mistake. Now, I told y'all about Polar, right? So I'm saying that he thinks I'm dumb. He, you know, he was thinking I was dumb because I'm black, you know. So I, instead of listening to what he said, I turned it into a negative. And, you know, it took me a while to figure that out. I had to start taking my medicine and get and then. I had to go back and apologize to this guy, man, because you know what? He was patting me on the back, 
you know, and, and then from that day on, man, things went south between us. In fairness, George Seifert won two Super Bowls as the 49ers head coach. He was the first coach to win a Super Bowl in his rookie coaching year since 1968, and he is still the winningest coach in 49ers history with a record of 98-30. and But Charles never liked him, and it seemed the 49ers brass didn't either as they brought in coach Steve Mariucci to replace him and told him that's what they were going to do. Quote, he'll be your offensive coordinator for the final year of your contract, and then he'll take your job. Okay, man, that sucks, but... Back to Charles versus George Seifert in our story. So with Ronnie leaving, you and Seifert had separation. You got all over Seifert. Somebody told you to go apologize, as I understand it, and yeah, you and I, you, you. I think they did. You couldn't. You couldn't bring yourself to do it. I you, think I. I think I. I. I blinked it. I blinked it. Hey, I was in the room with him, and I was blinking, and he didn't. He didn't down. He couldn't read Morse code. That was his fault. I told him that too. Charles clearly was out on George Seifert, and with Ronnie gone and Montana on his way out, Charles was, well, on his way out too. He abused his head coach verbally and quite on purpose, and then blinked his way through a non-apology. At the core of his disgust for his head coach was his incessant need to talk. He apparently was an over-talker that liked to hear himself talk, as far as Charles was concerned. I, I see the world black and white, and I, I don't ever see gray. It, it's black or white. and. Uh, so I always just turn it. I flip it, you know, and um, I don't I don't like people that talk to me word magic for like 15, 20 minutes like George Seifert. Hell, I don't know what you just said. <laughs> you know, hey, I don't know where you, what, what did you just say? All I heard was something, and anything that I heard was negative. I think that's what our problem was, because Bill Walsh would call me in. He would say a couple sentences and tell me, get the hell out. I said, okay, I'm good. You do sense the pattern here, right? Anyone who was replacing someone that Charles loved, like George Seifert replacing Bill Walsh, was destined to be compared to them and then to fall woefully short of them, and then to ultimately be met with disdain. It was part of his bipolar issues. He loved or he hated, and as he said, black or white. He only let a few people in and they could do no wrong, and anyone who replaced them was in for a long battle with Charles Haley. George said the last straw was when I told him I wasn't gonna go to London or, or Japan or wherever they were going. And um, when they got back, they told me just go home. And then I went home and and um, I came back over there and they said I was traded to the Dallas Cowboys. Seems to me there's no way you can blame George Seifert or the 49ers on this. They were running their team, and they were still in a position to win more Super Bowls. Steve Young was a great replacement for the aging Joe Montana. Ronnie Lott was 32 years old and expensive for an older safety. Teams make tough decisions all the time in this exclusive league, the NFL. But when dealing with Charles, you had to understand, he needed his guys. And Walsh, Montana, and Ronnie Lott were his guys, and now they were all gone. And so was Charles. Here's the good news. This problem child that was coming to Dallas was a monster talent, and the Cowboys had just the owner and head coach to handle him, because winning was on their mind. And you remember the name of this story told to us by Charles at the beginning. I'm into winning. I ain't into that friendship. I'm into that win shit. You want to be my friend? Let's do some win, okay? Hey, Postlog. This is just the start of the ride with Hall of Famer Charles Haley. We've seen all of his sides now, and 
Now they're all coming to Dallas to meet Emmett and Troy and Michael and Jimmy and Jerry, and this is going to be fun. Charles Haley won two Super Bowls in San Francisco, and he has a murderer's row of talent waiting on him to be his teammate in Dallas with the Cowboys. That's next time on part two of the Charles Haley story about football and winning and other stuff. <laughs>